morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. And today we're talking in our installment, or today's installment, our series on Overcomer is Overcoming Mediocrity. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks or take some notes, please raise your hand. You're going to want to take some notes on this one. Because there's not a one of us at times that doesn't settle. Settle for less than our best. And we just kind of mail it in. We just don't really get there. I mean, uh, there's not there's times in our lives when we've had a hard day's work. It could be doing yard work. It could be volunteering for somewhere. It could be just a project or finishing at work. And we have really pushed it. And we've pushed ourselves to the end. We got it done. We did our best. And we collapse into bed at night and we sleep like a stone because it was great. And we know what that's like to be exhausted. We also know what it's like to go and do a job. You volunteer for something. You show up. There's really nothing for you to do or you're in a dead-end position, you feel completely underutilized, and you've put in the time, you may have even put in long hours, but you come home and you're just confused, and you lie awake at night and you can't sleep at all. Does anybody know what I'm talking about on things like this? Yeah, we all do. There's not a problem with hard work. We like hard work if it's meaningful work. It's the stuff where we're under-challenged or underused, or we felt like, wow, I blew an opportunity there. I had an opportunity to do something great, and I just mailed it in. It's mediocrity. And the Bible does not say this is what God wants for us. In fact, the Bible says God wants just the opposite. And today I want to talk with you about doing our best at what the Lord created us to do. And then I want to remind us that God has a purpose for each one of us and plans for each of us. And so today you should leave greatly encouraged. Greatly encouraged to do your best. I'm, I want to welcome everybody worshiping with us via internet, at Pike Road, Cloverdale, Wetumpka, and other places. Um, but we're doing this on a Labor Day weekend. We have, most of us have a holiday tomorrow. I mean, we celebrate work by not working. But anyway, uh, that's a different issue. But the idea is that <laughs> when you have a holiday weekend about work on Labor Day, what if we took stock and said, am I doing my best at my work? What if we took stock of ourselves if I'm a parent, am I doing the best at being a parent? If I'm a student, am I doing my best at school? Or am I settling? Because God has things for me to do. And so today, I hope you leave greatly encouraged that God has a plan for you and wants you to do your best. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, I pray that you will guide us in how we practice our work ethic and how we practice our... Uh, skills, the way we put ourselves and uh, the way we conduct ourselves at school, the way we conduct ourselves in our homes, that we will make the most of every opportunity. So Lord, I pray that you will speak and move me out of the way. Tell us what we need to hear. Remind us of your truth. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Point one on your outline, God created me and has good things planned for me to accomplish in this world. God created me and has good things planned for me to accomplish in this world. Would you say that out loud with me, please? God created me and has good things planned for me to accomplish in this world. Now, imagine that. If we actually believe this, where would I get such ideas? Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God designed us, and God has plans for us. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 2. 
For we are God's masterpiece. Please circle the word masterpiece. Have you ever thought of yourself as a masterpiece that God has worked on? That he designed you while you were in your mother's womb? We are God's masterpiece, and he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has plans for you and me. Some of us believe it, and some of us don't. Some of you believe, well, John, yeah, God has plans for you. You're a pastor. I understand that. Well, I wasn't always a pastor, and people had to encourage me on this, too. That God has a plan for you, John, and includes this. That wasn't how I originally saw things in life. And God has plans for other people to be a great farmer. God has plans for other people to be a great teacher, a great leader, a great cook, a great parent. I mean, all kinds of things that God has in store for us. And that brings us to a life application. God wants us to do our best. To do our best at what? At whatever he designed us for. Paul in Colossians 3. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that master you are serving is Christ. God has plans for you and me. Wonderful plans. Could we read that point one together again, please? God created me and has good things planned for me to accomplish in this world. So, John, if I'm supposed to be, do my best, do I have to be the best at everything I, that I ever attempt to do? No. Look at Paul again in Romans 12. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, then take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, then do it gladly. I can't do everything better than anybody else. You can't either. In fact, there are some things I may not be able to do better than everyone else. I can just do it pretty well. But I'm supposed to do pretty well, whatever that is. If I'm a leader, I need to lead well. A teacher, teach well. If I have the gift of giving, then give generously. What if we thought that way? What if we thought, well, you know, God placed me in my family. God placed me in my career. God placed me in my neighborhood, and he has things for me to do there. What if I actually believed that? I didn't just believe it about Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or a few successful people I know. What if I believe God has plans for me? Well, if he does, then I need to do my best. Because these are the things he has planned for me. Why would I not want to do my best? And that brings us to point two. We must not allow ourselves to settle for mediocrity. What do I mean by mediocrity? Not very good. Or not my best. If God wants me to do my best, mediocrity is settling for not my best. I remember my... uh, one of the first ministry assignments I had was working with a ministry to high school kids in Houston called Young Life, and it was an outreach ministry. And I remember we were doing a mailer one time where I got a bunch of students to come in and put mailing labels on some flyers that we were sending out to parents and other things, telling them what was going on, people who'd been, who had donated to our ministry. And some of the kids were kind of goofing around, and some of the labels got on there crooked, and some weren't on there some were even kind of half off there. They were just kind of messing around. And I was taking them, I, was, I had them all bundled up and taking them to the, a post office to get them uh, in the mail. And I remember uh, the director 
who was training me at the time, he was a regional director, he came in, and he, was, he happened to be in the office, he was looking at something, he said, let me see what you got there. I showed him the flyer, and the flyer he picked up had a mailing label crooked. And he said, let me see some of those others. And he looked through them, and there were some others like this, and he started pulling out all the defective ones. There were a whole bunch of them. And uh, he took the basket out of my hands, he went and threw it in the trash, and he said, you need to do these all over again. And I go, well, these kids worked for a couple hours on there. He goes, yeah, but you... Were you not in there to supervise them? And he goes, well, and I said, well, no. And he goes, well, from now on, you've got to get in there and supervise them because the truth is you're sending this out to people who donate to your ministry or are going to be involved in your ministry. What would it communicate to you if you get something like this and your name is misspelled or things are crooked and off the page? What would that communicate to you about the ministry? I said, well, I guess it would communicate that maybe they didn't care about stuff like that. He goes, exactly. This ministry is about telling kids about Jesus. There's nothing more important in the world. You get it right. Can you do it better? And I said, yeah. He goes, well, then do it better. If you can do it better, why would you ever not do your best? As you can tell, that still stuck with me. (laughs) If you can do it better, why wouldn't you do it better? Can you be a better parent? Well, then why wouldn't I be a better parent? Can I be a better worker? Why wouldn't I be a better worker? Can I be a better student? Well, then why would I settle for subpar performance in that area? Why am I settling for mediocrity? Well, I'm going to give you four reasons, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but four reasons that I see all the time where people settle for mediocrity that I do myself, and then give us each a life application on how to overcome that. This is a message series entitled Overcomer. You'll see how these, I think these would be very helpful. They've been true in my life, and I hope they'll be helpful to you. Point A is this, some of us settle for mediocrity because we lack clarity or purpose or vision. And I didn't know what word to put in there, so I put all three. Sometimes we're just not clear exactly what God wants us to do. Sometimes we don't have a clue. We're not even, we don't even know what direction, what kind of purpose God has for us. Some of us, well, we might have some clarity about what we're supposed to do, but no vision for where we're supposed to be in the next few years or what's next. And we're lacking clarity or purpose or vision and all those things. Paul talked about this, the importance of this in 1 Corinthians 9. Therefore, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. He was talking about how he conducted his ministry. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He didn't want to be disqualified as a pastor. We've all heard of people who were. They got disqualified because their ethics got out of whack or they compromised morally or they were... They got involved in some huge mess financially and just disqualified them completely. And Paul says, I'm not going to do that. For me to pursue my calling means I've got to be intentional and purposeful. It's going to take hard work and focus. And so he said, that's the way I conduct my ministry. And he was encouraging the Corinthians to do the same. Because is it possible for people to run aimlessly? Well, there's stories that abound in our culture of people who are completely aimless. They have no direction. They live from paycheck to paycheck, weekend to weekend, no purpose, no understanding of why God put them on this earth. And if you've been wondering about this and you're saying, well, I've never even thought about my purpose or I've got an inkling about this, but I wouldn't know how to proceed. I don't have clarity or a vision or a purpose nailed down. Well, here's a life application for you and me. A great way to overcome a lack of clarity and purpose and vision is wise counsel. Wise counsel. If God's calling you to be a better parent and you say, I need to take up my parenting game, for instance, 
Well, find a wise parent. If I want to pursue a career and I don't know what's involved, find somebody who's really good at that career and say, can I spend some time with you? Can you help me? I need counsel. Why? Proverbs 20, verse 5 tells us the benefit of this. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. Like lowering a bucket down into a deep, deep pool of water and finding something at the very bottom. It's going to take time and a person who's wise can pull that out and draw out of me what I really want and what God's really calling me to do. And if I'm really cut out for something, a person who's doing that will recognize that in you and can call that from you. Are you looking for purpose? Are you looking for vision? Are you looking for direction? Well, then find somebody. And if you're not sure, pray about this. And say, God, will you help me find somebody who can give me wise counsel? I want purpose drawn out of me. I want to make the most of my time. I want to sleep well at night knowing I did my best today. I'm tired, but it's a good tired. I'm doing my best with my life. Oh, this is what God wants for us. Can I take us back to point one again? And would you read that with me, please? Because we've got to believe this. God created me. Read it with me, please. God created me and has good things planned for me to accomplish in this world. Now, if I don't know what that is, let's find some counsel. And if you're not sure where to start, come see one of us on staff. We'll be glad to help you. If we don't know, we'll help you find somebody who can help you. But don't live a mediocre life saying, I'm not sure where to go, so I'll just kind of mail it in. God must not have any plans for me. That's not what the scripture said. From eternity past, he has things planned for you and me to do. He created us anew in Christ Jesus for that reason. This week, God has things for you to do. How am I going to know what they are? Well, that's one of the things God, the Christian life is all about, discovery and growing. And God wants us to pursue him. He's calling us out. And I hope you hear a pastor's heart today. This is what God wants for us. He wants us to be overcomers to overcome mediocrity. He's calling us out today to take a step up. If we don't know where to go, let's get counsel. Oh, but John, you don't know me. I've blown it too many times. I'm no good. If you're thinking like that, thank you for making a perfect segue to point B. Okay, please turn your outline inside. That's where we're going next. Some of us settle for mediocrity because we don't believe we're good enough. Well, yeah, John, I'm sure people, yeah, that'll work for people who haven't messed up, but I've messed up too much. Or, John, you know, I've tried stuff. I'm just not very good. And all the people in the Bible, they were always special people who knew they could do it. When God called them, they went and did it because he only picks the cream of the crop. Really? Well, here's what happened when God called Moses and told him, I want you to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt. I want you to lead them to the promised land. And here's what Moses said. He didn't say, yes, sir, I got it. I'll go. Here's what he said. Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. So was Moses lacking vision or purpose or direction? No, he said it right there. I know you've spoken to me. I know exactly what you want me to do. Here am I, Lord. Send someone else. I'm not very good with words. Well, you're really good at excuses, Moses. You're doing great here, okay? I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. And then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I'll be with you as you speak. I'll instruct you in what to say. I mean, once, if we get counsel and we get a direction, yeah, this is a good direction to go. 
then I don't need to make excuses that I'm not good enough. I don't. Neither do you. If the Lord's calling us to something, he'll equip us. Go. If you're not sure he's calling you, well, that's the point of getting counsel. So here's a great life application. If you're struggling with this, a great way to overcome our insecurities is meditating on the truth that God believes we are good enough and will be with us. I mean, God believes that. He loves you. Remember what we read here? I am wonderfully made. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Some of us don't know that full well. We don't believe that at all. We, are, we believe we are defective and terribly made. And other people need to do this because they're prettier, they're smarter, they're taller, they're thinner, they're whatever-er. Not me. I don't speak well. I don't lead well. I can't do it. And so we settle for staying in the back, never stepping out, even though we know there's a need and there's a burning desire in our heart to step up into this. And so we settle for mediocrity. God told Moses to go. When Moses retired, the mantle was handed off to Joshua. And here's what God said to Joshua. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Same thing he told Moses. I'm with you. You know what Jesus told the disciples before he ascended into heaven? Why don't you go and make disciples of the whole world? Who, us? Yeah, go make disciples of all nations. Baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I taught you. Oh, I'll be with you. He's with us. So why are we afraid? Because we don't believe in ourselves. Because we don't really believe what point one said. Please go back to point one. We're going to say that again. Read it with me, please. God created me and has good things planned for me to accomplish in this world. How many times are you going to go back to that? As many as it takes. Because some of us just do not believe that. We are stubborn and we go, no, I, I really don't believe he has things for me. And we're just like Moses saying, I can't do it. If the Lord's calling you to do it, you can do it because he'll help you do it. He's with you. He'll enable you. We get good counsel, we trust in the Lord, and we meditate on the truth. We're going to come back to that again. Point C, some of us also settle for mediocrity because we're afraid of criticism. See, some of the reason that some of us believe we're not very good is because we have lots of help in this. We have brothers and sisters and neighbors and friends, co-workers and other people, and they'll be glad to jump on the bandwagon that we're not good enough. They'll be glad to tell you that you're not good enough. You're terrible. Why would you try that? You? You're too old. You're too slow. Who do you think you are? Did that ever happen in the Bible? Oh, yeah. Here's another example right here. Uh, Nehemiah had a burden in his heart to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. People had been in captivity for a number of years in Babylon. The captives had gone back, and they were resettling Jerusalem, but they hadn't rebuilt the wall, and so they were vulnerable to attacks from marauders and gangs and there was no security, and God put it on Nehemiah's heart to go back and organize the people to rebuild the wall so they have protection and a real sense of community. And they started the work, and there were two local officials, one named Sanballat and another Tobiah, and they came and surveyed what the Jews were doing as they were rebuilding the wall, and here's what they said. 
Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. I mean, he'd been in charge up till then, and he didn't like it that somebody else was doing something he never got around to doing or somebody else was taking charge. So he flew into a rage, and he mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap? And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, Ah, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked along the top of it. Ha, ha, ha. I added the ha-ha part. Okay. But you can hear it. <laughs> and they're laughing, trying to discourage everybody. Do you know if you and I follow what God wants us to do and we step out on faith, there will always be naysayers who want to pull us down? Always. Always, always, always. Do you know that when we wanted to start this church, Centerpoint Fellowship Church, I was leaving a, a position that I had before uh, at a different church, another church to come here, Fraser Methodist to come here, and there were people that came to my house, there were people that called me, there were people that emailed me, and they would stop me and say, this is the biggest mistake of your life. You can't do this. You're too old. This won't work. You're going to start meeting in a hotel in Prattville? Pfft, that'll never work. I'm telling you, I'm not joking here. People told me over and over again, this is a pipe dream. It was stupid. It won't work. And some of these were people that I'd known for years. But the thing that they didn't understand was I knew God had lined up these things. I was clear on my purpose and the calling. I knew that God had called me to be a part of this, and I wasn't going to let them discourage me. I'll tell you something else that helped, and this will help you too. Here's a life application. great way to overcome fear of criticism is encouragement from Christian friends. My wife and others who had prayed with me for years about the direction in my life and what God was calling me to, when I told them about the opportunity to be a part of Centerpoint when it was getting going, man, they said, you've got to do this. This is what you've been praying for for years. In fact, my wife told me, if you don't do this, don't ever talk about it again because you're just chicken, you know, all that stuff. And you get the redhead going, and it's, it's hard to overcome that. Okay, anyway, she's here right now, and I'm getting glared at, so that's good. Okay, uh, Hebrews 10, 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. Please circle that word especially now the day of his return is drawing near, especially because Jesus is coming back one day and he wants us to do our best. Why would we waste any moment? We need to encourage each other. What does encourage mean? It means to give courage. That's what the word encourage means. When I'm tired, when people have criticized me and I'm ready to give up, I'm ready to believe the lie that I'm not good enough and I'm ready to believe the lie that maybe God doesn't have a plan for me, it is so encouraging to have somebody come along. John, you've been praying about this for years. Let's get on with it. Do it. Don't you give in. Now you know why we want you to be in a connect group, so you can have some friends who get to know you. You can encourage each other. John, you're going to work connect groups into every message, aren't you, as often as I can? I'm telling you why we do it. We act surprised when we get criticism. We should actually act surprised when we get praise, because human nature is to always criticize people when they try to move ahead. True? It is so quiet here. True? True. How are we going to overcome that? By getting together, meeting together. That's why we do worship and we sing those wonderful songs of praise to the Lord to remind us of who we are. 
to remind us of point one. And please go, please go back to point one. And we're going to read that again. Please read it with me. God created me and has good things planned for me to accomplish in this world. And if I listen to the criticism of other people who aren't praying for me, who don't have my best interest in mind, may have never even tried to think about what God had planned for me, I'm going to miss out on the best and I'm going to settle for mediocrity and so will you. So let's get some Christian friends around us who can encourage us in the right direction. Do you have any? If not, well, come see us. We'll get you in a connect group. That's the idea. Don't miss out on that. Point D. Some of us settle for mediocrity for another reason. That's just because we're lazy. Do you know that pursuing what God has for you, doing my best, is going to take hard work and persistence? Do you know that good marriages take hard work and persistence? Do you know that good business practices require hard work and persistence? Do you know that being a good parent requires hard work and persistence? A good teacher, a good farmer, a good pastor. Hard work, persistence. And do you know why some of us settle for mediocrity? We're lazy. Proverbs speaks a lot about this. Here are two references. Proverbs 24, first of all. I walked by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense. I saw it was overgrown with nettles. It was covered with weeds. Walls were broken down. Then as I looked and I thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Proverbs 13. Lazy people want much but get little. But those who work hard will prosper. Maybe I know exactly what God wants me to do. Maybe nobody's criticizing me. Maybe I believe, oh, I guess I could do that. Ah, but it's going to be too hard. I remember I was thinking about going to seminary. I knew I was called to ministry. I was going to be in ministry the rest of my life. I got my undergraduate degree in engineering. And now the opportunity came when I was 30 years old to pursue a master's of degree in divinity. Engineering, divinity. I don't know. Found exactly the right place, prayed about it. My wife and I did. Uh, Beeson Divinity School up in Birmingham, living in Montgomery at the time. And this was in the days before they had online classes. The internet had not been invented yet. For you under 30, there was a time when there was no internet. Okay, it, it, there really was a time. The earth was still cooling then, but there was such a time. Anyway, so it was going to take me six years to get this degree in a way that I could afford it and keep body and soul together and keep food on the table and all these things. I would have to drive to Birmingham twice a week for six, six, it ended up being six and a half years. And I knew it would take at least six years when I started out. I was 30 years old and I was going, oh my gosh, six years to get this master's degree. This is going to be forever. And because um, I was going half speed, it's a three-year degree normally. And I was like, oh. So I called a friend of mine in Houston one of these, uh, a good friend. And this is the life application, by the way. A great way to overcome laziness is accountability. And he gave me some accountability. I called him and I said, I don't know what to do. He's been praying for me for forever. And he knew I was called into ministry and I laid out the options and the, the right place, the right thing. Everything was good. I could pay for it, get it done. It was going to take me six, six and a half years. And I said, you know, he said, well, how old will you be when you get finished? And I said, well, I'll be 36. And he said, well, how old will you be if you don't go? Um, I'll be 36. Well, then you should go. (laughs) 
He said, John, the only thing that's holding you back is this is going to take hard work and persistence for the next six years. I've never known you to be lazy. Sign up for the classes and get going. Now read Psalm 141.5 or follow along with me on this. Let the godly strike me. It will be a kindness. If they correct me, it's soothing medicine. The application form was sitting on a desk at my house in front of me. There was a way forward where I could pay for it, I could get it done. It would be hard, and it would take persistence. What in life that's worth anything does not require hard work and persistence? But do you know why many of us settle for mediocrity? Because we're lazy. We're lazy. And part of that's because we really don't believe that God has something planned for me. My friend was reminding me, John, did God call you this? Does he have this plan for you? Does he have an opportunity in front of you? And you can see the way forward. It's just going to be hard. Yeah, well, then do it. And if you today have an application in front of you for something you know you need to do, and there's a way to do it, it's just going to be hard, and it's going to take endurance, it's going to take hard work and endurance, then I'm calling you out. Step up. Why? Because of point one. Would you read point one with me again? God created me and has good things planned for me to accomplish in this world. Now, if I really believe that, when am I going to get going? If you don't know, well, then get direction. Get wisdom. Once I know the direction, don't give in to criticism. If God calls you, he'll enable you. Get yourself some Christian friends to encourage you. And if it's just going to be hard work and take endurance, well, that's the way life is. And that's a good thing. Remember we started out, hard work is a good thing. I earned that degree. I learned a lot. And it took hard work, but I'm glad I have it. Can I beg you again, not to give in to mediocrity. This is our whole world. Oh, slow down, take a break. It's too hard. Nothing, you shouldn't have to work that hard. Why not? Good things in life are worth it. Well, how do we get such crazy thinking? I mean, when I'm up here talking, you go, well, this makes sense. Why wouldn't we think this way? Well, that brings us to the last point. You and I must engage in the spiritual battle that's going on for control of our minds. The Lord is real and the devil is real. And there's a battle going on for my thoughts and your thoughts. And the devil would love to tempt us and remind us of all the things that aren't true here. That we aren't good enough. And that God can't use us. And if we can't be good at everything, then we shouldn't try to be good at anything. And he'll twist all these things. It's too hard. You're too old. You're too fat. Whatever it is. Give up. That's what he did with Eve in the garden. Did God really say you shouldn't eat the fruit off of any tree in the garden? No, it was off of one tree. He's trying to twist it to make God seem like he's doing something weird or outrageous. Though we live in the world, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We're going to have to do a whole series on spiritual warfare here, but let me just, I need to introduce this though, because I need to remind us of what's going on here. There's a battle for my mind. That's what spiritual warfare looks like. A battle for my mind. 
create strongholds of doubt and all these things that I'll start believing all this false junk and living that way. You can't fight the devil with guns and bombs and knives. We have to fight him with different weapons. And we'll talk about those in just a second. John 10.10, Jesus said the thief's purpose, the devil's purpose, is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. A rich and satisfying life that might require hard work and endurance. That will require me to get some encouragements from friends. That will require me to trust God. That he's going to enable me to do things I could never do on my own. But will I trust him? We've got two weapons to help us. This is the last life application. The first is the Bible. For the word of God is alive and it's powerful and sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. That's why you need to know the Bible. That's why we teach from the Bible every week. That's why some of these scriptures to some of you, when you read it today, going, that's exactly what I'm dealing with. That's amazing. This is God's word. It's truth. It helps us overcome the lies of the evil one. Secondly, we have prayer. Ephesians 6. And by the way, that whole chapter talks about how to put on armor to defend us from the devil and all of his schemes. Well, right at the conclusion of putting on all the armor, it says this, pray in the spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. If I'm going to use these weapons, well, I'm going to have to have persistence and hard work here. I'm going to need to read my Bible and get a journal and start taking some notes. I'm going to need to commit some scriptures to memory that apply to my situation. I'm going to need to set aside time to pray and say, God, I don't want to live a mediocre life. I believe you are coming back one day, and I want to be ready when you come. I don't mind hard work. I just don't want meaningless work. Because I believe that you have a purpose for me. In fact, one more time, would you go back to point one? Let's read it together. God has created me and has good things planned for me to accomplish in this world. And do you know what the devil would remind you of? That God did not create you. He might have created others, but not you. And he doesn't have anything planned for, or he did have things planned for you, but you messed it up so bad he can never use you anymore. Give up. Stand down. You're worthless. And if you and I believe that stuff, man, we're going to miss out on what God has for us. I want to leave you with a very encouraging video. There is a woman named Dana Wiswall. She attends our location at Pike Road. She sat down with Matt Bossick, who directs our student ministry there. And Dana was somebody who really didn't believe she had the gifts necessary for ministry. She really didn't believe that God could use her to do ministry. She was intimidated by the whole thing. But the good news for her was Matt saw a lot of potential in her. And it's like that person drawing water out of a deep well, pulled it out of her. I want you to hear what God did in her life just because she was available and willing to step out. Watch the video, please. So, Dana, I met you and Chad two years ago. We both came to Center Point at the same time. I just come on staff, and y'all just started attending the church. But I remember you telling me that um, years back, as you were attending church, you were just kind of an attender. And now you do so much ministry. Um, tell me about that. 
Uh, yes, we did just attend church. We went to church basically for the worship. Um, we weren't involved in any other way, and nor did we really want to be. Didn't want to be in a small group. Had no desire to go on a mission trip, ever. Ever. So you come to Center Point, and I, always, I said, hey, Dana, would you open up your home uh, just to have a, uh, for some students to come over? And what was your initial reaction? Um, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. Um, I didn't know the youth at all because we were new to the church. Um, and uh, I had not opened up my home before. Um, I had fear of opening up my home. I had fear of having to provide a meal for these youth, um, having to have my house cleaned or you know everything picked up for them to come in. It was just a lot of fear of, of opening up the door. But you said... I said yes. You did. And it's amazing now because look, two years later, now you've opened up your business. The room we're sitting in is the upper room. It's, you guys own the business and you've given us the space now. And you're so fearful to open your home two years ago. Now you've been on a mission trip. You've been to Panama City Beach and slept on a cot for a week. You've been to the mountain trip. You've discipled kids. And you would have never done that a few years ago. What's, what's changed? Um, other than the fact of giving me true joy... Um, that I know that it can only be given by God. Um, I see the kids um, building relationships here with each other. I see them worshiping Jesus freely with their hands held high. I see them singing to the top of their lungs, worshiping Jesus. I see them giving their life over to Jesus. I see them um, journaling, reading the Bible. Kids that parents don't go to church. Um, and they come with friends, and I see it in the space. Every time I see someone's life get changed in the upper room, on the mission trip, or at the mountain trip, it brings me true joy and purpose. And I'm so glad I got involved.